Good Tuesday morning, everyone. Welcome to the BallQuest.com podcast presented by Blue Water Climate Control. I'm Brent Hubbs, along with Austin Price and Rob Lewis. Don't forget, your heating and air system is the largest user of energy in your home. If not maintained, you risk sacrificing indoor comfort, increased power usage, higher repair costs, and premature equipment replacement. You want to choose a quality contractor that performs preventative maintenance, not a cursory inspection. At Blue Water Climate Control, we follow a quality maintenance standard written and approved by industry leaders. To find out more about their service plans, give them a call at area code 865-299-2290, or you can go to bluewaterclimatecontrol.com to book an appointment online and to find out more about it there. Again, with Austin Price and Rob Lewis, I'm Brent Hubbs. Glad to have you with us on this Tuesday. A few things to get to as Tennessee inches closer towards spring practice. And Rob Lewis, I'll start with you. Austin and I did a two-minute drill yesterday, kind of talking a little bit about the defensive staff. What was your takeaway from um, meeting Josh Heupel's staff for, for, for the first time? Well, as you know, I just I saw the first three guys on Zoom, and then I had had a doctor's appointment I had to get to. But just I mean, impressed. I mean, Rodney Garner, not you know, not surprised, but just comes across as I mean, just a, a mature, genuine individual. I mean, his track record, I mean, it's impeccable. I mean, I don't know. Is there an assistant coach in the SEC? And I'm just talking about assistants, not coordinators, that, that has the reputation and, and the results that, that he does in this league over the past, you know, two decades. I mean, he's a he's a guy that, I mean, his reputation, I think, speaks for itself. And then you saw how he carried himself today, just, you know, calm, cool, collected. Uh, not hard to see why he's, you know, attractive to parents and 18-year-old kids. Uh, really impressed with him. Thought Tim Banks, you came off really well. I mean, intelligent. Seems like a guy that you know has a plan. Knows knows what the challenge is here in front of him. And you know, just overall, I, I mean, the one thing we've all talked about is Power Five experiences. These guys have you know been at programs where the expectations they're facing or what they're going to face here at Tennessee. Not only that, but the competition they're facing both on the field and on the recruiting trail. You know, they felt that, you know, Banks recruiting against Ohio State and Michigan, um, you know, obviously Willie and Rodney know what it's about in this league. That, that to me, just is what jumped out. I mean, these are guys who know, who know what they're getting into. You know, it's interesting, Austin. I, I was talking to someone um, Monday night uh, uh, about just kind of the, the, the press conference they called and asked me what I thought. And I asked them, I said, what did you, what did you think? And they said, you know, I, I don't know that they're, how successful they will be or won't be. Time will, will tell on that. But the one thing that they did do on the defensive side of the ball in their visit with the media, and that's why I think Josh Heupel's smart in letting them talk, is, is they presented confidence. Maybe it's that's the credibility. It's just their experience. Maybe it's just the way they handled themselves. But to this person, they exuded some confidence. And I think right now, I think Tennessee fans are clamoring for some confidence uh, that, that something is moving in, in a direction that's positive for Tennessee, considering what they're in the middle of right now with all the NCAA stuff and everything else. And just confidence was this person's takeaway from it. Your thoughts? Confidence. And, and then I think they each bring a little something different. You know, the defense coordinator, Tim Banks, more reserved. Um, you know, Rodney, as we all know, has a personality, uh, relates well to people in general, not just prospects, but moms, dads, aunts, uncles, uh, high school coaches. Um, you got Eckler, who is 
a thrill a minute, but I think he compliments all those guys because he's kind of the yin to the yang with some of the other guys. You know, Brian Jean Mary's kind of a mix of guys. He's reserved, but I think has energy. Um, and then Willie Martinez, this veteran guy who, again, has a lot of passion for what he does, passion for young people, and then I think passion for Tennessee. So, you know, I, I think that they each kind of bring just a little bit something different and, you know, I, I, in talking to a few people, it feels like that the defensive staff, now while they've not really, you know, they've coached, you know, you got Rodney and Willie, they've coached together. But, I mean, there's not a lot of, like, history together. I, I do think that this is a group that, to this point, and we're talking just a few weeks in, genuinely likes one another, which, again, is better than what was here before because so much of that last staff, there was just – it was fractured. There were, you know, plenty of times where, you know, this guy or that guy contributed to, you know, them not getting along. So, you know, time will tell how much they mesh and how well they get along once they get to the practice field and they start reviewing film together and those type of things. But I think the biggest thing I take away is, is they each bring a little bit something different. And I think when you throw that in, into a pot and it's kind of a melting pot, it could be pretty good. You know, all those all those guys said, you know, kind of in a polite way, not real sure exactly what we got, you know, in terms of what we got to work with and what this group's going to look like and what this defense is going to look like. I think there's some athletic ability and some talent there, but it's clearly a lot of unknowns. Maybe, and, and this was a surprise to me, um, but maybe the most positive guy about his group of guys was Willie Martinez. Um, you know, he talked about recruiting Danico Slaughter, who's a guy who Rob disappeared last year after he started, started at South Carolina and, and, and really was a non-factor. And, and he talked about Theo Jackson and Elante Taylor. He, he seemed to be pretty upbeat about that group. I'm not saying that group's suddenly going to be good or not. I just wonder kind of where that confidence stems from. And you wonder if that group of all the groups on, on the defensive side of the ball, has the, the newest lease on life, you know, um, in terms of just maybe some freedom to, to go play and a little less, you know, paralysis by overthinking things too much. I don't know. I'm just wondering aloud. I was surprised that kind of his – he was a little more assertive about what he thought about that group than maybe he, the other guys he, were. He wasn't hedging his bets, like would be the safe play in that, you know, in a position – for a position coach who is inherent in a unit with a lot of question marks was kind of my takeaway from it. I mean, you could, I mean, you could, I mean, Roddy didn't come out and puff his chest or anything, but you could understand if he was a little confident with all the veterans, all the experience he has come back to work with. I mean, they're not, may not be a great player up, up front, but I mean, he's got a lot of guys who have played a lot of football, whereas Willie, you know, has got some big question marks. I mean, at one cornerback spot, I mean, you've got some safeties who have played, but, I don't know that you've got any safeties that, that have played at a high level. I mean, what are you going to do at nickel? One of the, you know, probably the guy that, yeah, I mean, you losing Eric Gray hurt, but I mean, losing Keyshawn Lawrence was a real blow considering what the running back look, room looks like compared to the defensive back room. So, yeah, I mean, I thought, I thought that was kind of noteworthy that, that he was, he wasn't trying to set the bar really low as might have been the safe play there. I wonder, Rob, if he if he's taking a page out of Josh Heupel's playbook. Josh Heupel, since he's been here, has been trying to build the 
build the, the, the kids up, you know, the very positive, you know, kind of build them back up after, you know, basically they were, you know, I don't want to say tore down, but I don't think they heard a lot of positive stuff through practices at halftime of games throughout the game. So I wonder, you know, that playing defensive backs almost, you know, it's almost like being a punter uh, or a kicker or, you know, a, a pitcher on the baseball mound. A lot of it can be mental, especially when you get beat routinely. So I just wonder if, if he's trying to be overly positive, trying to build the kids up and get them some confidence, because I'm not sure that group had a whole lot of confidence. I mean, Elante exudes it, but then I think goes in the tank when things go wrong. You know, the, the safeties struggled for various, you know, parts of last year. Um, obviously, Tennessee's, you know, well-chronicled lack of defense across the middle of the field um, was something that was, you know, just glaring. So, I, I wonder if he if he's going the hypo route and just trying to build these guys up. Maybe knows that, hey, they could have something, not sure, but I would. you're better off to build them up and, 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 and then start trying to teach than – you know, coming out and going, okay, you did this wrong. You did that wrong. You did this wrong. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, here we go again. We're just, we're just terrible. Yeah, it's a good point. And you wonder where the scars are, Rob. And, and you wonder what kind of the scars are for the, for the entire defense uh, and really the entire team. But uh, obviously with the defense, you know, the fact that the coach and staff, the defensive staff visited uh, w- with the media on, uh, on Monday, you, d- you do wonder where this team's, you know, scars are and, and how much they're kind of beaten and battered mentally and, and how much of that do they have to get back in addition to trying to figure out if they're athletic enough to be able to compete? Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I think Jerry, you know, and, and we, we've said this also in a certain sense, and I think he was a player's coach from the standpoint of he, he listened to them, their opinion mattered to them. He wanted to, you know, put take care of them off the field. But, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't think he's a guy that was going to, you know, put his arm around you and, and, you know, get all warm and loving with you when, when things were going well, whereas I think the staff has more of that feel to it. Yep, we'll be interested to see as this team gets ready to go to the practice field on March the 22nd. They'll get things started and, and going through spring practice uh, then. And, and obviously we've talked about it. We'll talk about it in the coming weeks in terms of what all everybody is looking for. Uh, we we know, you know, position groups that have to, to be, you know, going there, but – uh, you know, I have to get going there. After listening to those, to the coaches today at, at all position groups and kind of seeing their comments, uh, is there is there a guy that that you feel like maybe that that the coaching the coaching change on defense is, is going to be really good for them, really beneficial to them? Is there one guy where you go, you know what, that, that's this is new lease on life for him, or do you think it's too early to say that? I think it's too early to say that. I think it's too early to say on a lot of things like. We're asking the chat, like Salter or Bailey. I'm like, who knows? I mean, like, if, if you were asking me which quarterback is least set up to succeed in this offense, I would say Harrison Bailey just because of the ability to move around, and that's what Hypel has had in the past. But you don't know until you get out there. You know, he may be perfect for this offense. Nobody truly knows, in my opinion, until the rubber meets the road and they get out there. And so, like, it's hard to really tell who can benefit or who will struggle in 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 the on this defense or on this offense until they get out there on the practice field and start doing things and even then I think you're not going to know till probably the end of spring Brent and if you if you even know then 
Yeah, there's certainly a steep learning curve. Um, it's another thing that Willie Martinez was talking about was, Rob, the speed of the offense or Josh Heupel and how, you know, he thinks that can be a positive for them, which is a, which is a, a great selling point. It's easier to sell that right now than, than it is, you know, a week or two weeks into practice when you got a bunch of defensive backs who are having a hard time getting lined up and figuring out which way it's go, you know, which way it is up um, with, with, you know, an offense trying to go as fast as they can, but he certainly was spinning that to, to a positive today. How big of a positive that'll be is another thing that remains to be seen. Well, I mean, and you got to think that, you know, I don't think it's in his interest to sell a false narrative sure. and have it come back and, and bite you in the butt, you know, a month later. But I, I would say that opinion is informed by his experience of, you know, going against that on the practice field. And, you know, maybe knowing what you need to stress to, to your players, knowing, you know, the – what, what the certain keys are and, and just having experience in teaching it to kids, knowing what works, knowing what doesn't. Yep. So plenty to talk about, plenty to examine and look at and, and kind of dig into here in the coming weeks. And we'll, we'll do that with um, some things getting ready for the start of spring practice and in spring practice. And hopefully uh, we'll have some access to spring practice. I know that's something that uh, Tennessee is working on and, and trying to see what they can, can get done and see what can happen there because I do think Heupel wants to be somewhat open. He's not going to open it up for scrimmages and opening it up for wide open stuff, Austin. But I do think he feels like, you know, this program needs publicity in, in, the, in the right way and, and, and try to brand itself out there with this new regime. So I, I do think that you'll hear, you know, from assistant coaches from time to time. And, and I do think that they're going to do everything they can to give some access uh, to spring practice, if that's if that's possible, that's certainly something that they appear to be trying to work on and talking to people on campus. So we'll see if that plays out. Let's um, let's talk a little recruiting right quick. Um, everybody, obviously, Austin wants to know name after name after name, and um, you know Tennessee continues to offer some some in-state kids and uh, continues to work the in-state trail. Um, Quarterback wise, they continue to appear like they're searching. It doesn't feel like they're close to anybody uh, on, on the quarterback side at all. But just let's start in state. Anything really new or different developing across the state of Tennessee? Well, I, you know, they offered the big kid at MBA, um, you know, on Monday night, and he's he's a he's a kid that is going to continue to gain more and more traction in recruiting. I mean, he's about two seventy. 275. He's about six five six six. Tackle. Uh, he's a true tackle body. Um, you know, and I think we'll continue to get more and more offers and gain more and more traction. So I think smart to to go go in on him. And then you know Tennessee is going to continue to uh, lean on kids that they're you know I think in pretty decent shape for. I mean they're going to lean on the Wade twins. Tennessee continues to surge there. I think Tennessee continues to surge for a guy like Fisher Anderson, even though I don't think he's necessarily as close as the Wades. I do think that, you know, Tennessee's in a much better spot now than they were six weeks ago. Um, Geo Davis down at South Pittsburgh. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure how, you know, I, I'm not sure Tennessee is super in love with guys like Anthony Brown or Jalen Lewis. The more I've talked to some people, the more I feel like, you know, they, they, they like those kids, but like, I don't think that like they're trying to get those type of kids in the boat at this point. I think that that's, you know, more of a wait and see approach. 
with both of those kids out of West Tennessee. Um, you know, and then, you know, can they, can they find a way to get back in the mix for guys like Isaiah Horton, Cam Miller, Dallin Hayden? Not that they were ever out, but at the same time, I do think that they had kind of fallen behind there for a bit with, with kids like that. And then, you know, what players emerge? You know, there's Jackson Long at, at Beach. You know, he, he's a really solid-looking tight end prospect. But when you where does Tennessee want to go with the tight end position? you know, in this class. And then a guy like Tommy Winton at Catholic, I think he's down the board right now a good bit. But Tommy really didn't play his junior year. You know, if he goes out and has a really strong senior year, you know, does that does that change things for him? I mean, people have asked about Shannon Blair at Knox West. I think he's down the board a bit. But, again, any of that stuff can change, you know, with, with you know, to me, a, a strong summer and or a strong senior year. You know what I think is going to be fascinating to look at, not just Tennessee, but programs across the country, is how many misses there are in the last class and this one. If you know, if it, we go second straight summer without kids getting on campus, without coaches a getting bunch. on the road in the spring, I think it's going to be. I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of bust, or maybe not bust, but guys who work you know don't play up to their rankings because of the lack of hands-on evaluation. And to me, Rob, you're going to have a bunch of kids that are at that group of five level that play one or two years, and all of a sudden they they go from group of five to major power five because they were missed because there were no camps and there were no you know spring evaluations and all that. I think I think that's going to happen. You know, where where kids ended up, they weren't able to sign anywhere big out of high school because people just didn't know or they, you know, they, they chose not to go in on them um, because they hadn't seen them in person. And then they bloomed after the fact and they end up getting to that point because of the transfer rules. Or even, or maybe not even a group of five, maybe some kid, a kid ends up at a Mississippi state instead of Alabama or ends up at Maryland instead of, instead of Penn State. I mean, that's fine. Yep, absolutely. No doubt. And it appears that the one-time transfer vote is going to take place at the Final Four. Most project that uh, and expect that to pass. So um, that will change the dynamic there. It's a tough time for a school like Tennessee if you're going to have scholarship reductions to be in a situation where there's a higher risk for misses. Because if you're signing a limited number, you're going to end up having to sign a limited number of guys because of reductions if that comes about as a part of some self-imposed penalties that means your evaluations have to be really good because uh, there's a high risk, you know, a higher risk of a miss and, and you're working with a smaller number than, than what some other schools are going to be working with. So that's just yet another challenge that's out in front of Tennessee. So we'll see what happens with um, summer camps. Is that going to be opened up in June or not going to be opened up in June? We'll find out about that. I tell you, there's going to be some summer or some spring seven on seven, and some spring individual camps that are going to come out there that coaches will not be able to attend, but they will have every spy they can have out there to try to get a glimpse of some video highlights, to look at whatever they can uh, as an evaluation tool for them, uh, but because they're, they're grasping for anything for evaluations right now. So um, we'll keep a track on, on that in the coming weeks as well, because I do think there'll be some camp stuff out there uh, for guys to have opportunities to, to go and, and work out and, kind of get themselves out there for further evaluation uh, for schools around there, even though schools can't be at those camps. All right, let's go to the hoops front. Um, 
Rob Lewis, Tennessee, plays on uh, Friday afternoon in Nashville. Um, feels like this team could win a couple, could be there on Sunday. Feels like this team could go home on Friday. I completely and utterly agree. I, I will not be surprised if Tennessee's on a bus on I-40 East by dinner time, and I won't be surprised if they're playing on Saturday. I mean, on Sunday. No, either in my mind could happen and it would, wouldn't make me bad at all. I, one thing I, I, I do, I, I hate the draw for Tennessee. I hate the thought of playing Florida six days after, you know, you played them. And I mean, I'm not saying that I think Tennessee's a big underdog or anything. I just, I just think that's tough. And, uh, but you know, Tennessee will obviously have the advantage of Florida. You play in second game in 24 hours. Yeah. I mean, of course, what happens, you know, if Florida's got Trey Mann, how differently do they look? You know, what, what happens with, with, with all of that certainly remains to be seen. I'm with you. I, I don't think you want, ever want to play someone within a week of just having played them if you won that game because I, I think that's just a hard – that's a hard rematch to, to play. Um, so, we'll see. I, I mean, I think the question is, can Tennessee play a complete game like they played the second half against Florida in terms of rebounding the basketball? Um playing through the paint, not necessarily throwing it into the post and, and kicking it back out that way, but playing through the paint, whether it's dribble or, or pass or whatever, the way they did in the second half. Because, uh, you know, Rick Barnes and I were talking about it Monday night. I mean, I think it's probably the case for most basketball teams, Rob, but this is a different team when the ball goes through the paint in some capacity in a half-court offense. Yeah, I love the way Tennessee played offensively on, on Saturday. I mean, John Fulkerson – yeah, I mean, the 14 points were nice. The way he got the 14 points to me was big. He wasn't, you know, fading away with a turnaround from 12 to 15 feet on the baseline. You know, he wasn't trying to do a whole lot of up and under stuff with a bunch of head fakes. And he was getting the ball. And he was making quick, decisive moves. Got, um, you know, created two and one situations by finishing through contact. And that, to me, more than just the raw numbers, was encouraging. And I love the way Keon played on on Sunday, he was seven of seven of eleven from the field. Six of those field goals were layups, where he put it on the floor, got by people, got to the rim strong, and finished. Or in, in, in a couple of cases, just beat everybody down court for easy buckets. Yeah, and I just think the question is, can that can this team find that with any kind of, of consistency defensively? They seem to be finding their their dobber a, a little bit. You know, Pons was was obviously good in protecting the rim with a couple of highlight blocks, but um, they, they seem to be attached a little better than they had been uh, in some previous games in terms of looks, you know, not giving up as many open looks, handling the screen stuff better. Seemed like their communication was better. I mean, it just felt like they were a little more dialed in. And, and I guess that's to be expected for your final home game. The challenge is, can they do it moving forward into yeah, tournament and play and sudden, and, when it's sudden death now. Yeah, and I think they really benefited from having that eight-day layoff. I think Rick put that to good use. I think he gave, the, he gave the guys three days off over the course of that, went hard, you know, really two games in a row and, and wore them out in the film room where, where I think there was a lot of teaching going on. It gave them the luxury of not just having to finish one game and get ready for the next game immediately. They had a couple of days where they could tinker with, with their sales where they could really look at Tennessee and they put, they put that time to good use. But as you noted, that's, that's not going to be a luxury they have, you know, going forward with, with quick turnarounds, but uh, you know, did they find something? I mean, I just, I just don't know, however, I mean, they've been so <laughs> all over the board 
that it's just it's hard for me to have a lot of faith in this team. But the defense you're talking about, I thought it was as good the second half against Florida as it has been all year. I mean, they held a they held a good. I mean, yeah, they didn't have Trey Mann, but they still have some weapons out there, and they held them to 21 total points in, in the second in the final 20 minutes. That was pretty strong. Here's an interesting dynamic to the SEC tournament that I was not aware of uh, until Monday night, and that is, I guess Tennessee will go Wednesday to, to the SEC tournament. Um, but typically when you go to those venues and you go to tournaments, it's just kids, it's with the SEC tournament or a conference tournament. And it's with the NCAA tournament. Everybody has the little public display workout that you're supposed to have. And then they all go to a private gym somewhere and get a practice in. Yeah, like Tennessee a, has traditionally gone to Lipscomb. And, right. And, and practice get a, get a, you know, get a hardcore final wrap up kind of practice deal ready to go. You can't do that now. You can't do that this year under the COVID protocols for both the SEC tournament and the NCAA tournament. How does that change a coach's preparation where you can't really go hard for 48 hours, 72 hours leading up to playing? It will change, but at least it's a level playing field. It's something everybody's going to have to deal with, but I think you'll see them um, use like big ballrooms and in the hotels they're staying in and, and do walkthroughs that way. I mean, obviously that's not – the same as, you know, being in a gym with eight, eight basketball goals, guys can get up shots on and, and you can do some five on five stuff. But that, that I think will be, you know, sort of the substitution that they make. Yep. Just another layer of, of management in an unusual year, kind of how to, how do teams manage it and, and how do you go about, you know, uh, de- dealing with things that way, which is something that that's totally different. And then you throw in the fact, Rob, that, you're potentially playing back-to-back games for, for the first time all season. And uh, typically in all those preseason tournaments, um, teams are looking for one of those tournaments where they play back-to-back days just for just for conference tournament preparedness. Um, now you're going to turn around and play on back-to-back days for the first time all season long. How does that, you know, what team handles that the best? I think that's why getting the double bye and getting to a Friday-only game, you know, and not having to play prior to that, was big for this team. For this team, I think it's big for any team this year because it's hard to imagine a team playing four straight days. It's hard any year, but it's really hard to imagine when teams have not played back-to-back days all season long. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. It's, but again, it's it's a level playing field. Right. I mean, it's, it it's something that everybody's everybody's dealing with, and, and probably the staffs that are, are the most creative and the most make the most efficient use of their time are going to have a leg up. All right, last question. For Tennessee to have tournament success, is it too simple to say it all depends on John Fulkerson, or is it more about, you know, they've got to get, you know, Victor Bailey and, and Fulkerson kind of going, or, or what, what's the key for this team to, to find some tournament success? I mean, it's not all about John Fulkerson. I mean, he, but I don't think – if he's averaging four points a game like we saw in the last eight, then I don't think, I don't think Tennessee's going to have – and they're going to have some cheap hotel bills is what I'm going to say. Uh, but it's not all on him, but I don't think, you know, when they start, when you get to, to Alabama's, when you get to, if you're, you know, Tennessee's a six seed, if you're playing a three seed on in the second round of the NCAA tournament, I don't, four points from Fulkerson is, is going to send you home, but they also need to, and they're not going to hold teams to 21 points and a half, but the defense that they played in, in Florida, it's got to look like that. Like it did on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, it feels like this team needs to play games in the 60s, not games in the 80s, if they're going to have a chance um, to, to win. Because I'm not sure how 
how easily this team can get to the 80 point play. I don't think they can't beat basis. Alabama or Arkansas in a game like that. I don't think, which would, if, you know, if the bracket holds, that's who they would be facing on, on the weekend if they get by Florida. Yeah, would be would be hard to see Tennessee have that kind of offensive success and and match possessions and match points that way. But we'll find out. Basketball's a strange game. Teams get hot at the weirdest times. Michigan State's a great example of that right now. Bad looking basketball team till about two and a half weeks ago, and then all of a sudden they're playing themselves into the NCAA tournament. They beat, Mich- they beat Michigan, Illinois, and Ohio State in the last yeah. three weeks. They did. I mean, two yeah. weeks. Yep, they beat three top five teams, three top ten teams, I guess, in in the last. Uh, in the last two weeks or so, which which is just crazy to play themselves in a position to be in the – I mean, they were as bad as anybody in the country uh, earlier in the year. So, strange game. Anything can happen. We'll find out what happens there. We'll talk about it on the general's quarters. We'll have full coverage of it. Plenty of football coverage coming up. Plenty of recruiting coverage coming up. A little baseball coverage coming up as well as uh, the SEC season approaches quickly, but that's going to do it for this Tuesday edition of the Blue Water Climate Control VolQuest.com podcast. For Austin Price and Rob Lewis, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody.